Good morning. Everybody's awake? Okay, I'm going to check after I preach and see how you're doing, okay? I am so grateful to hang out with you guys. I'm so grateful that I get to serve in this church. And when I look at this parable, I'm going like, these people don't need this. They kind of got it wired. But then I started looking at me. I'm so grateful with the staff that I get to work with here. And let me give you an example. Those custodians, the maintenance, the things that happen, they come in sometimes on their own time, like this morning after the rain, and not get paid just to make sure it looks right for you. Or when I attend a staff meeting here, thank you. Or when I attend a staff meeting here, and it's, you know, it's one church, six worshiping communities. It's, it's 20, 30 young people and pastors, and they're mixing thoughts. And, but when I watch the blend and what happens, it's amazing. And a board that works in unity. Man, I've been in boards where it's not pretty, but this board has a vision and what this church can be in the future. That's powerful. It's difficult because I'm following up after the A-team. Dr. Joe, Dr. Brad, Dr. Mary Paul. And I don't know about you, those parables tend to like stick to me a little bit. Those pearls, the kingdom-minded, a hoping in the kingdom. And so they hit you throughout the week. The Holy Spirit kind of pokes you. And the Holy Spirit kind of grabs me different ways. Once in a while, it's a good hug. Once in a while, it's a good laugh with me. And once in a while, anybody know what a cattle prod is? It's like an electrical thing, and you get the cow back on the right path. Once in a while, with, with that. So I'm in line Tuesday at Smart and Final. I've already been in line for 20 minutes. Now, my Jesus attitude is already kind of stinking. And I'm now four people away, and there's this little older lady with a huge cart behind me. And another young lady walks up with her with just a sack of potatoes. Now I can see I'm starting to get closer and closer to the check stand. Well, that little lady who probably struggled to get that cart there tells that young woman with the potatoes to go in front of her. My first attitude, like, man, I'm, I got to get to church. I can't let that lady with her potatoes go any farther. And then, okay, Holy Spirit, I remember those parables. So I let her go. And then the next person with the cart let her go. And then the next person. And finally, I see a person just ready to start. Stop, stop, don't check me out. Let the lady with the potatoes go before me. Suddenly, the lady bursted in tears with the potatoes. And she's telling the lady at the check stand that she had to leave her mom just for a few minutes. She's her caregiver, and it's her last moments. And all her mom wanted was potato soup. And you guys allowed her to be able to get through quickly so she can get back to her mom. Ouch! Then the Holy Spirit said, see, I'm glad you listened to me. Those parables are powerful. And as we approach this one with the rich man and Lazarus, it's a fascinating story. It's a parable well-known, but I will warn you, I have seen the abuse of this parable because people don't get it. I've seen them like, hey, you're got, you get out of hell jail and, and use it for fear. But that's not it. It is the kingdom-minded and what we can do here and now. And I think if we spend just a little time diving into that, you're going to discover it. 
But I want you to understand the context and the setting of this before we dive in. This parable of this rich man and Lazarus in the middle of the section of Scripture where Jesus is teaching his disciples through these parables and present, and especially if you look at the verse 4 and, and before this one, the Jewish leaders were present and Gentiles and probably some Jews had come to Christ. And then you have those disciples. You don't know which one, but somewhere between 18 and 30, they're sitting there. So I'm going like, okay, Lord, let me see the perspective of each one of those as they hear this parable unfold. And then there's, of course, Luke who writes this. And Luke, if you had to pick a core theme of Luke's writing, this Gentile doctor, the only non-Jewish writer of the Gospels, who writes beautifully when you read about the crucifixion and the birth of Christ in such beautiful detail. Matter of fact, scholars say it's so easy to un know who Luke the writer is because he was so beautiful in his writings. And he's writing this so the Gentiles understand the power of this parable. You see, the Pharisees, probably from the previous parables, might still be a little ticked off. The story and the contrast of the characters between the rich man and the man on the floor and the five brothers, I want you to look at it carefully. I want you to hear it because, listen to me here, this story does not valorize poverty or victimize riches. I want you to look at the questions that unfold in this passage clearly. So are you with me? Heavenly Father, as we approach this scripture, unplug our ears, open our eyes, soften our hearts to what your Holy Spirit wants to do with it. We love you. We're grateful to be here together. I'm grateful for the people that are watching us online right now, Father, and I ask you to help them to feel a part of this passage. We give you all the glory and honor in your name. Amen. If you are able, first of all, open up Luke 16, 19 through 31. Phones, Bibles are up on the screen. If you are able, if you could stand with me for the reading of God's word. There was a certain rich man who clothed himself in purple and fine linen and feasted luxuriously every day. At the gate lay a certain poor man named Lazarus, who was covered with sores. Lazarus longed to eat the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Instead, dogs would come and lick his sores. What a picture. But here comes the divine reversal. Verse 22, the poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side, and the rich man died and was buried. While being tormented in the place of the dead, he looked up and saw Abraham at the distance with Lazarus at his side. He shouted, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am suffering uh, in this flame. Verse 25, but Abraham said, child, remember during your lifetime you received good things 
whereas Lazarus received terrible things. And now Lazarus is being comforted, and you are in great pain. Moreover, a great crevice has been fixed between us and you, and those who wish to cross over from here to you cannot. Neither can anyone cross from there to us. The rich man said, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. I have five brothers. He needs to warn them so that they don't come to this place of agony. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They must listen to them. The rich man said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will change their heart and lives. And Abraham said, They don't listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded by someone who rises from the dead. The word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Is it getting hot in here or is it just me? A rich man. A rich man who's clothed in purple and ate luxuriously. Scripture and and scholars say it was like he ate Thanksgiving every day. And the royalty that it disturbed and who he was as a leader, that's who his image was. That's who he was. And at the gate lay a certain poor man named Lazarus, whose name means God has helped his promise. Lays at the gate. Now to help you to picture this, here's this guy with his brothers who's eaten pretty darn good. And in that day, after they would eat and their crumbs, the the steward would come along, sweep it up, and put it out for the poor to eat. Matter of fact, if you were so rich, you would take a piece of bread, and that was your napkin. You would wipe your hands with that bread and throw it on the floor. But you have this man. It says that he he longed for the crumbs that fell from the floor. But was it just the crumbs of food? Or was it from some of the truth and grace that these men knew from the Old Testament about taking care of the poor and the grace and the love? Lazarus longed to eat those crumbs, and it said instead dogs would come and lick his sores. What a picture. But that was how these leaders, these Jewish people that are listening in, looked at the Gentiles, looked at Jewish Christians, that, hey, those wounds, they're nothing but dogs. We don't even want them to worship with us. And I hope that isn't us. I hope whoever walks in here broken and hurt and that, we never shun them. This church does amazing things every single day from church in the park to feeding the hungry. It's just mind-boggling to me how many of you want to open a gate and are opening the gates. But Scripture goes on and makes it clear that there's a divine reversal. And what's interesting, when I looked at this whole hunger thing, Cindy and I are watching TV last night, and a news flash comes up today. And it says, today, 83 million people will go to bed with no food tonight. Oh, my goodness. Then they showed the plight in Haiti, 
and how many are starving there right now with all of that. And I'm reading this scripture. It's sometimes mind-boggling, like, what do I do with the homelessness and do these things? But it unfolds here. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. Now, just realize, in that day, when a beggar died, they just threw him in a pit. But look who had his back. God who helps. God who helps the broken, the hurting, the confused. Whereas the rich man probably had a pretty cool funeral. Probably had it all. But as you know, and some of you have been around a church, I used to hear over and over, the hearse does not pull a U-Haul. You can't take it with you. So this rich man, rather than realizing he could be a conduit with all these giftings to be a blessing to somebody else, this rich man who could be ah, God's steward of blessings, because when you read the Bible, there's some rich people in there, but they knew what to do with it. They knew what to do with their gifts. And you know what? How many of you know as we sit in this church compared to those 83 million that are hungry last night, we are rich so many untold ways. While being tormented in that place of dead, he looked up and saw Abraham at a distance. And I love this. He shouts, you know, Send down Lazarus, put his finger in water, and cool me off. I started to think he got it when he said, have mercy on me, but then he goes into, look who I am. Send the slave down to put his finger in my thing. Even in the dips, even with this huge crater in front of him that represents his piety and everything before him, he doesn't get it. I want to slap him. You see, privilege and entitlement, rather being a conduit to the kingdom, is a slippery slope. Then it goes on, and I love when Abraham says, child, remember during your lifetime. He talks to him peacefully. I love the fact that, that Lazarus was next to him. In, in the King James, it says he laid on his bosom. What that means is he was close as he could be to Abraham and to God. What a great place for a broken person to be. Only if, only if, that rich man would have been a conduit and opened that gate. Who knows what would have happened. He goes over and, and goes over it more and says, man, I can't fathom. And of course, then the whole explanation, hey, you kind of sewed your, your bed now. You're going to have to lie in that little hot place. But I happen to believe that hot places, he sees the grace and the love and the beauty of God, and he's separated from it. And now he wants his brothers to have it, even though he had no intent. So he says, you know what? Send Lazarus over there. Have him minister to my five brothers. Raise him from the dead. Send him over there. Now, I want you to hear, there's some weird doctrine going on here. First of all, you see the doctrine of you know, success, finance, you know what, if I'm blessed by God, I'm going to have all the money. And if you are broken and wounded, you must not be blessed by God. Garbage. You hear me? 
And then you hear this part of it of, oh, yeah, if you send a sign and wonder uh, to my brothers, they're going to get it. Abraham points out real quickly in the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, if you would have only believed in that, you would have had it. And if you go through and read it, you will see how God tells you to treat the poor and the broken and the hurting, the confused. That's where we look to. Amen? So there's a couple things I want you to realize. This purple cloak, this kingly man who was so full of himself, anybody here remember what was put on Christ as he was crucified? Anybody remember what they said, the king of the Jews. Now what I love is in the Old Testament, there's a passage that says, he clothed me with garments of salvation, arrayed me with a robe of righteousness. Oh, that's what that broken man had. Now just so you think, women, that you're not like separated from this, the word rich man in the original language, it was universal for men and women. So you're here with me too, okay? People tend to read the story and, and thinking it's all about compassion. And it absolutely is that. And I'll be honest with you, I have seen some people can be very compassionate but still kind of full of piety. The other part of it is, no doubt, uh, it's about entitlement and privilege and how we treat people differently and what we assume. So as we move into this, isn't this a powerful parable? And doggone it, don't I feel like I'm still and smart and final? Five brothers. Five brothers that if he would only open that gate and maybe started showing the example of what it means to care for others and love, five brothers who might have got it. Five brothers who might have learned from his ability to do that. And you know what? I don't know about you, but I can see myself in one of those brothers. Each one of these. Let me tell you a little story. You can pull up this picture. That is McLaren Hall. That's down in El Monte. Those five children, ran, uh, their mom got them on a Greyhound bus, and those five children, uh, the mom was sick. She had a mattress, a feather bed, put them on the Greyhound bus, and she ran as far as she could. The abuse, the ugliness that happened to those children and to that mom were unexplainable. And they ran as fast as they could. Count them, one, two, three, four, five. And when they arrived in El Monte, the mom was so sick she collapsed on the bus station. And they hauled her off to the hospital, children over to McLaren Hall. There was a pastor in El Monte, a little tiny church in El Monte that got word of this. He took that woman out of the hospital who by now was dying of last stages of cancer, brought her to her, their home, cared for her till the very end. 
Then the first thing he did was take the two older girls who were 16 and 14 and started to teach them how to get a job. None of them could read or write. In McLaren Hall, they were made so much fun of because they were hillbillies. They couldn't do anything. That pastor ended up mentoring every one of those children. He would pull each child out of McLaren Hall because they could only take one at a time to be able to go spend time with their mother before they died. He kicked open the door. Now, I had the blessing of walking each one of those in their final moments before they all went home to Jesus. Did many of their funerals. And the funny thing was, much of this was never told because it was such an embarrassment. They were so broken. They were the beggar with the sores that this pastor of a little tiny church so I remember talking to the last one that was still alive. And I said, he must have been a great preacher. And they said, no, he wasn't a great preacher. But he loved us. Matter of fact, they were so honored by him. They all went out, and when he passed away, they all bought cemetery plots all around this pastor because that he had such an impact on their life. Next slide, please. That one that has the arrow above her, that's my mama. That's my mama. We got some gates to kick open. Probably one of the greatest comments was when one of my relatives there died just before she died days before. She said, you know what? You remind me of that pastor. So as we go from here, my question for you is what gate do you need to kick open? What do you need to be moving forward? Now, sometimes things get in my way of the gate when I'm seeing the broken and the hurt and that. Oh, that person has that problem, so I got this sandbag. I can't open that gate because there's a blockage there. Or it's their political views. I'm not going to open that gate. They don't agree with me politically. Oh, come on now. I'm going to move that sandbag. Pray for who God wants you to open a gate for. Maybe look behind you at your family and your friends who are watching you. Can you imagine if you do this together? There was a point in time when my two daughters were really young and we were driving down the 210 freeway and at Rosemead we saw on the side of a freeway a homeless person back then it was you didn't see it like you do today so we pulled off went and got food we hiked up behind the freeway which was probably kind of crazy and my children went and left food for this woman and when they approached and walked up the area was covered with crosses she could have been Lazarus. God will help. 